this is Joy Gilfillan, host of I Change Justice, where members of the Restorative Community Coalition talk civics with people who are living in the aftermath of an arrest. People confronting the compound dilemmas, ripple effects, and consequences on their family, friends, and taxpayers. Listeners' discretion is advised for this information can be disturbing and can trigger an emotional reaction. This is about lived experiences, discussed for taxpayer education, and to advance justice system reform. It is not to be used for legal advice. Hello, this is Joy Gilfillan, host of I Change Justice podcast. And in the next hour, you're going to listen to Alona and I talk about politics, global economics, and an opportunity for Americans to change how we do leadership in America. During the subsequent 45 minutes to an hour of this podcast, Alona and I realized that we had a long conversation and it went sort of all over the place, but all the different pieces link back together to one common theme. Humans are incredible. Humans are a magnificent species capable of such extraordinary skills at linking our hearts together to solve problems. And we wanted to preload this episode with the truth that Ilona is here in Whatcom County to help us spawn change in how we do justice in America. And our topic today is a historical opportunity for American leaders with Ilona Crone. Welcome to the show, Ilona. Hello. I'm really happy that you have me again. Thank you. It's exciting for me because to invite you back to the show because you're a global economist who's working with us at the Restorative Community Coalition to tackle some of the, the civic challenges we face in the aftermath of the global crisis of 2008, the global housing crisis and the meltdown of the economy, in the aftermath of the COVID crisis, and in the aftermath or in the middle of our current civic crisis related to the jail issues, poverty, homelessness, and justice. So talk to us about why it is that you're excited to be here. I know that we invited you to join us here, but what is it that intrigued you to come to Whatcom County? I've been, I've been following the, um, yeah, I, I studied economics actually in the early 1990s. Um, that was when the, the Cold War ended and kind of a world order came to an end and it looked like everything was going to be hunky-dory now. We would have endless endless growth and endless peace. And, um, and the 90s were really very, very optimistic years. I was in South Africa in 96 and Mandela had just been let out of jail. They had the first um, democratic elections. And yeah, then 9-11 happened and somehow all of that was just turned on its head. Oh and, yeah, um, it, sure, it sure affected us in, in uh, this country. Yeah, but again, it, it actually, I don't know how aware people are that that changed the world. And, and it's really been interesting when, when you're looking back over the last 150 years to what degree the U.S. has actually affected and led world change again and again and again. Very often, not even intentionally. It's just that what happens here tends to 
go out and and affect the rest of the world. Sure. And so for me, it's really exciting. I see the potential. It kind of, on the one hand, it looks as if it's never been this bad and it's never <laughs> been this messed up. And and again, that is not just in the US. That is actually a global a global issue. And you can have it. You can see the different versions in in all kinds of countries. When you're looking at the UK, for example, there's stuff going on there. The the EU is um, under pressure to find find a new voice and find an, a new version of itself. And the same is happening in the US. And well, and the Ukraine has everybody scared. I mean, the whole world is like in a in this fear mongering mode. So it's wonderful to have somebody here who's talking about how could we, through the American leadership, make a difference. Yeah, especially since um, again, looking in from from abroad, I think the the effect of America on the rest of the world has not been seen as positively as it as it might have been over the last 20 years in particular, mm-hmm. because the the reactions to 9-11 and, and the way, yeah, it had, we really live in a, in a, in an atmosphere of, of fear around all kinds of things. And it's, it, you know, it was, we had war on drugs, war on terror. And, and we have a failing economy again. Sure. And when you look at the historical, I mean, one of the things that, as president of the Restorative Community Coalition, I've been looking at the trends in incarceration, the trends in, you know, the the destruction of our civic leadership and our civic modeling and all of these things. And when I was talking with you before we you came here, I said, you know, how could you imagine or what are the opportunities that you see? I mean, how can we dig ourselves out of this mess? Start wherever you want and talk to us about what you were thinking when you said, yes, I'll come here and talk to you about it. I mean, the first thing that um, I was really impressed by was the passion and the energy that was behind you and what you were doing. And I had, after, after really watching patterns and economic patterns and systemic patterns, political system patterns um, for decades, um, I've really come to the conclusion that the the solution is in the creativity that's inherent in every human being and every individual. And we are living in a global world now that is nobody can deny that anymore. Whatever issues we're facing are global issues. Again, when you're looking at poverty and, and justice issues and so on, there are very specific issues in the U.S., but the overall themes are global themes. Sure. And for me, the the solutions lies in individuals, in in communities coming together and actually working proactively rather than just leaving it all to the social security systems that we have in Europe or the politicians to sort it out. And for me, the U.S. is so exciting because it's the only country on this planet that was consciously founded, like all the others kind of happened. And then the borders were fixed through a series of wars over, over centuries or in Africa, they were just drawn on the on the map where as the European powers were kind of sharing it uh, among themselves. But the US is actually a country that's been consciously founded on the principle and on the dream that every individual can live their potential 
in this country. And that is actually something that for me feels very real. It's not what has happened over the last 250 years, but the potential is still there. And I can feel, and I'm convinced that now in this crisis, if um, Americans actually find that, that dream again in a, in a community way and in a coming together way, rather than in a divisive way, um, how it has actually shown up over the last 20 years, that can be such an inspiration for the rest of the world. You know, it's really true. I, when I grew up, I grew up on the idea of freedom and community and apple pie and Americanism and, you know, the hope and the dreams of the American dream. And then as I graduated from school in the 70s, I went out to, to want to make a difference in the world because that was in the aftermath of the Vietnam War. I saw a lot of the problems that we were having with, I actually did see climate change issues and conservation issues because I grew up on a farm where we were causing a lot of damage and I was concerned. And I went into politics, I went into police work, I went into um, newspaper work, trying to find how it was that we could, as an American society, truly rebuild the American dream based upon the dream of creating freedom, not on the fighting against domination. Okay, so in other words, I had a different definition of freedom. And it sounds to me like that definition of freedom, the freedom to create and become the best we can be, is the thing that you're hooking on as, a, as an emotional seed that we could plant again in the United States to become a leader of the free world, truly. Yes, yeah, I. It yes, that is, is exactly it. Um, I I feel that, um, in a way, because the, the that dream, that American dream of of freedom and uh, liberty and the lift and express potential of the individual, um, was kind of almost sabotaged a bit by the the fact that the country was founded in rebellion to a. Um, to a, a state, a kingdom who basically wanted to control and um, not just the economic, but also the, the political reality of America. Mm -hmm. And so this, this sense or this identity of rebellion is, is really part of the American psyche. Um, and that is, on the some hand, I, I see that as a, as a strength, but it can also be a weakness because it always needs an enemy to fight so that we can define who we are against. And it's not so much a matter of what are we for and what are we building, but it's always, um, yeah, there's always an enemy needed so that America can define itself in, yeah, in opposition to that as, as the, the, the country that brings all the good stuff and all the solutions. Well, and in a way, we actually retell that story in different ways with John, with Joseph Campbell, when he talks about Americans have this, this hero story that we have to be the Lone Ranger or the hero or the, the person who comes in to save the day at the end of the, you know, the crisis. And I know that it pretty well broke my heart when I started to become aware the mass incarceration had become a major industry in the world and in, America, especially, we were number one 
at incarceration in the world when we're the ones that are supposed to be protecting freedom. How come we have created taking away freedom as a major industry? That was really hard for me to 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 tolerate when I first became president of the Restorative Community Coalition in 2010, and I started studying on it. And then we ended up writing a report called Stop Punishing Taxpayers, Start Rebuilding Community, so that we could start encouraging our own community to stand up because in community is the way that farmers and community leaders and people across the nation have rebuilt and strengthened America from the bottom up. And I think that's what you're talking back about, helping us to do that around the world and doing it from Markham County, right? Yes, yeah. But without the opposition to something else, out of the inspiration of something new, And that is actually a different way of creating because we have created and we as humans have created the world that we live in. Uh And so much of that um, is just taken for granted by by the people. You know, kind of people think the economy is a natural system. It's not. It's a a human-created system that's based on um, a certain understanding of what a human being is and... uh, patterns that come out of the past um, that can be changed. Talk so about that we, because I talk about that because you told me something funny that I really laughed at, but it's, it's not really funny. The, the idea of a, of an, um, a human being is like a character in the economy world. What yeah. I mean, about? yeah. Because, I mean, economics is not a proper science. They always try to sell themselves as that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, if at all, it's a social science. And so in order to have any, um, really, any authority, they need to find explanatory systems that somehow reflect their understanding, the understanding of the economists back to the world. And in order to do that, because the human being is way too complex to actually ru- build a model on, <laughs> they have come up with, uh, um, with the idea of uh, homo economicus, which is... <laughs> say that again. Is, what is, talk to homo, me about that. A homo economicus. <laughs> we humans are like stick figures in the, econom- in the economics game. Yes, yes. And I actually, we, when you look at the reality of the modern economy, it, I actually find it a bit scary that we have actually become that over the last 30 years, more and more. We're kind of, you know, kind of pawns that are pushed across the chessboard wow. in, a, in a game that is running on rules that most people don't understand because they just trust that the system somehow works and they act accordingly. Yeah, um, it's puzzled. It's puzzled me that when we are supposedly in a crisis, a poverty crisis, in the United States, for the for the normal person living in the in the world, we're having to pay our bills, and yet the stock market is booming. How does that even happen? And I think it has something to do with this Homo economicus idea. Yeah, maybe maybe it does. I mean the. The Homo economicus in its in its structure is a is a being or an automaton actually it's not really a human being that mm-hmm. is uh, 
viewed to be always rational, always making rational decisions, and always working to their own advantage. Ah. So it's it's basically taking everything that makes us human out of the equation, which is one of the reasons why economics doesn't really help us in being better humans. Wow. And and that is applied then um, into the, the larger economy, where, which is called macroeconomics, where you're looking at what is happening to an entire um, country or into the entire world. And then you have microeconomics, which is how do individuals interact with each other and within systems um, and how can that be regulated and, and controlled? Because if, if the system is built on the idea that a homo economicus or that a human being is only a homo economicus, that means that certain, that all regulation, that all guidance within the economy is actually in, re, in reaction to that artificial being. So we're and just consumers is, or assets or yes, liability. Yeah. We're just buyers and or sellers. Taxpayers. Yep. We're consumers, we're taxpayers. And and we have certain functions within the economic system that when we can't do that anymore, we basically are of no interest to the system anymore. So once you you lose once you're not a taxpayer anymore, once you can't get credit or can't buy a new car every couple of years, you're of no interest to the economy or to the to the companies in it because you're no longer playing the game. So this explains something to me about when I tried to take economics way, way, way back in high in college, when I first got out of college, I remember going into an ec- economics class. And I was going to take it because I thought money, fascinating. I'm a business person. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a farm kid. The world lives on the amount of money that humans produce in reality. And I remember sitting there arguing with my economics professor. And I remember saying, how can you run an entire economy that isn't based upon the production of food or the production of humans producing things? How how does this whole thing work? And I think that's what you're referring to here is that it doesn't, it's it's like an artificial construct that we live by. Yes. It used to be a, a real, you know, it used to be real real produce that was sold in marketplaces and so on and so on. But when you're looking at the modern economy now, then so much of what we do and what's happening in the economy is really disconnected from people. So what happened back in 2008 that changed the way the world works and what what's happening now? I mean, like just what's happening to us? Well, basically what, what happened or we, what almost happened, we are very, very close um, in 2007, was that the entire economic, the entire financial system was very close to collapse on a global basis because the, um, the, the banks or the finan- yeah, companies within the financial system, so that's not really the real economy that creates nuts and bolts. That is... The, the banking system behind it where money is flowing through computers 
and is chasing more money in order to create return on investments. And that had gone so out of control and so beyond the reality of when you remember, you know, this was about a mortgage crisis. That's how it started. And basically, um, you, they, banks had realized, okay, you can make money in mortgages. And there were mortgages handed out left, right, and center without really wondering how, how, how valuable a house really was. And, and so in the end, you had so much more money out there than actual value on the ground. And that's when this whole thing collapsed. And companies were writing off billions and billions of dollars almost on a daily basis. I remember being absolutely, yeah, I was in awe just watching how quickly the money went down the drain. And that wasn't real money. That was the dream of what that whole thing was worth. And it was basically fueled by people just wanting more and wanting get, to get on the bandwagon. So. Talk to me about where you were when that happened, because I think that's significant. What were you doing during that period of time that made you so aware on a visceral level of how close our, our world came to a, to a collapse? Yeah, I was at the time I was in, in Manchester in the UK, and I was employed by the Chamber of Commerce, the Greater Manchester Chamber of Commerce, which was or is the, the biggest chamber of commerce in the UK. Um, as an economic advisor. Um, so I was talking to members. I was asking them how they were doing. I was talking to politicians. We were doing um, our own research. I was, um, yeah, I was writing articles and also talking on, on the radio and so on to basically explain to people what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the thing is, when you say what was really happening is that, as I said, we came very, very close for the whole system to collapse. And what people, politicians and and also the um, the global business leaders were really scared of is that people lose faith in the system because that system only works as long as people play by the rules. The masses play by the rules. The rules for the big guys are different, but um, the ones that really keep it going are the masses who um, act as they're supposed to. And if they lose faith in the system, then nobody knew what would happen. Wow. And and I was in a couple of meetings with a bunch of bankers who really understood how dire the situation was. And for that moment, they were very, very open to quite radical ideas of what could be done differently. Um, the thing is that what happened then is that the governments globally just put a lot of money into the financial system to basically um, resurrect it or keep it going. And then everyone I talked to kind of said, oh, we're through it and we can keep going the way we have. Um and we really don't want to change because we don't need to. Everything is fine again. And I'm absolutely certain that we never really came out of the crisis. We are still in post-crisis. And when you're looking at the fallout on the ground, the people at the bottom of the, the social hierarchy, the weakest people within society, they are the ones who are still suffering. And they never stopped so how can you imagine that it's possible to flip this thing around? Because if, if that crisis was never fixed, and I've talked to enough people to know that 
you know, we're sitting on the verge of it again. I mean, they just pumped $100 million or so into the Whatcom County economy in the, in the aftermath of COVID. And yet the corporations are taking that money. I mean, I've learned a lot about the difference between public corporations, private business in the way that I think of business, because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a farm kid. And I've always, I've always done business understanding risk and liabilities and cash flow and all this stuff. And I realized that in public corporations, like in the, in the stock market, you know, risk isn't seen in the same light at all. And liabilities are not seen in the same light. So help us understand and unpack a little bit of that so that people and people can even get their head around what you're talking about. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure whether we are, we're kind of going beyond the scope of what we can discuss today, but sure. the, the, the real homo economicus within the, within the economy is the corporation, the private corporation, because um, that is a, is a group of people who come together and decide, okay, we're going to, to create an entity that we're all going to uh, make money out of. And that is, the, that is basically the goal of most corporations. And, um, and that corporation in itself has only one goal, and that is maximizing the profit of the shareholders. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking back at the homo economicus and how it's defined, then the corporation is actually the closest that we have within the economy to represent that. And that is a, a rational machine that where everyone within that company is by law and by contract obliged to act in the interest of the shareholders. So the, the human beings are losing their humanity, which is ironically exactly what economics in, in, in its model has, um, has described. So in other words, we're sort of in a catch-22 of the illusion is outpacing reality and in order to come back to reality in our local communities to restore vitality for the people at the bottom end of this of the economy. We have but, to put work and uh, justice and jobs and value back in the humans that are actually at the root, at the basis point of propping up an economy. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that the, that the consumer it, it has been, and I think that is more, more drastic than anywhere else in the world, uh, in the US, has really become the pawn of the economy. So, so there has been a, a move to constantly tell us we're not, we're not good enough, we're not rich enough, we're not smart enough, and in order, not healthy enough, not beautiful enough. And basically, everybody is throwing stuff at us saying, well, if you buy my stuff, you feel better and you, you somehow feel better about yourself. But in the end, the game they're playing is just, well, keep our stuff, but never actually be fulfilled because then we won't make any money anymore. So in order to get out of that out of that cycle, it's important that we start viewing ourselves and each other as human beings again, rather than defining us with all these labels that we put on each other. 
So ironically, when I started working on the law and justice system problems here, what Whatcom County was doing was constantly passing taxes to build buildings that didn't solve the problems that we were facing with, with, you know, homelessness, poverty, income inequality, the cost of living going up, social services being weak, all of these things. The only way that I personally, without an economics background, particularly, the only way I could personally figure out that we needed to reverse what we were doing was stop adding on more and more and more taxpayer debt that was hurting us all. Because in the end, we can't outrun with debt systems that don't restore life and vitality to the people. Yep. Well, and, uh, and even worse, the systems are making money out of the fact that it's not working. And that's the problem. So, so for me, the solution is, and, um, and I'm sure we get, we get a chance to talk about, you know, the nitty gritties of this in, in more detail at another time. But the, um, the solution to it is really that, Every single human being is, is a resource, not mm-hmm. as a taxpayer, not as a, co- um, as a consumer or a voter or anything like that. That's the resource, our resource aspects that the system can use. But our real resource is our resource of, is our compassion, is our creativity, is our um, ability to help each other. It's actually everything that makes us human, which is useless to the system. And by coming back to our humanity, we can actually start building real economies again, you know, where, where we are interacting with each other, where we have local markets, local produce, local jobs, and where, where we're going back to people being excited about helping either helping the community or building something or developing a new idea and adding that into the community. So I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump subjects and see if you can follow me and help me bring it back. When I were, used to work with uh, Marvin Wolf at the Visitor and Convention Bureau quite a few decades ago, actually, uh, one of the things he talked to me about the um, tourism industry is that it actually had a more powerful economic impact when people locally were buying and investing in local businesses, because if they, instead of chain stores, for example, that when you invested in a local business, when you shopped locally, when you did local tourism, you put money into the restaurant, the restaurant recirculated it to local tax, local employees. And, the, and so there was a multiplier effect on the money going through the system as long as the business stayed local. If the business was external, like amazon.com is external, you know, all of these businesses, we've gone to these big box stores, we've gone to this big industry that is sucking money out of the local economy. And once it goes up there, it goes up, it almost like dehydrates the local community and the vitality that we need to be able to spin the system, circulate money through the community. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, it is. Um, actually, the, the tourism industry is a, is a really good example because 
people like to come to places that feel good and are thriving and are creative and are beautiful and um, make them feel better. That's, that's where you want to spend your time. So a part of it is um, the natural beauty, but another part of it is the community behind it. And so um, actually the, we had a very similar discussion in the UK um, back in 2008 where um, so many of the small, beautiful old towns were kind of, yeah, they were becoming uninteresting. You don't, didn't really want to go there anymore because the classic high street with your local food store, the restaurants, the coffee shops, and all the, the individual little opportunities, gift shops, whatever it was, were, were dying because everyone went into the, yeah, into the big box uh, shopping center outside of town and nobody actually could bother to go into town, into the high street. There was no parking and people were crying and complaining that our high streets are dying. But what we need to realize is our money has power. And if we want a thriving community, we have to put our money into the local community. Otherwise, it's going to be siphoned off by the big international businesses and there's nothing left for the local community to thrive on. Mm -hmm. So this is related also to healing and the healing of our hearts based upon um the broken, I mean, we've all been sort of incarcerated over the past two years with the COVID crisis. And it, I found it interesting that Pope, the Pope came to Canada to apologize for the destruction that was caused with the genocide of the native people. And we've talked about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And I'm, again, I'm jumping subjects, but I see parallels here because when he apologizes to the local community of what happened with the doctrine of discoveries and or discovery, as some people prefer to say, that set up this country to do genocide. And now they're talking about the truth and reconciliation problem and the issues of talking about the Native American people. And one of the things I notice is that in Washington state, we also had reservation schools in many States in the United States, we had reservation schools and we had genocide of, no, of local people. And then that ties into the law and justice system. So are you proposing that if we could talk about rebuilding local economies, we could talk about rebuilding local healing processes and, and healing centers and investing in taking care of people at a different level that's more humane and more humanitarian? Well, in the end, we need a different community because if you're looking at um, at the at the classic community, kind of the the way it works now is you have a child that is born into society, and then you spend fifteen twenty years, or the system spends fifteen twenty years to develop that child into a functioning member of the of society and of the community. Um, because that is what's helping current society. Um, but if we actually turn it around and say, okay, what if we actually developed, uh, uh, if a child comes in, what if the community actually supported that child in fully 
accessing all its potential. And then the child, rather than fitting into a pre-formatted view of how the world is, could actually contribute its creativity and its inspiration back into the community. Then we have a living system rather than a static system that just tries to keep the status quo where everything is kind of preformed or reformed to fit into a pre-designed system. And um, so in the end, the I mean to come back to the to the healing, um, this this living in systems or living under the control of other people is a trauma that goes way back in humanity in, in all kinds of different ways. Um, and in the end, unless that trauma is healed, um, we can't really start from scratch. We can't really have um, the solutions because the trauma is either internalized and then you really become depressed and sick or, yeah, you just can't function anymore or the trauma is externalized and that means is I'm actually putting other people in trauma. And that's how we've been passing it on from generation to generation. So we're talking about generational trauma. We're talking about historical trauma. We're talking about civic trauma. We're talking about multiple different levels of trauma affecting us in our economy. And we're trying to solve it with homo economicus when what we need to be solving it with is real humanity. Let's take a quick break. You'll come back in just a minute and share with us more about that. The Restorative Community Coalition has been in the business of reclaiming lives since 2006. We are an action-oriented coalition advocating for restorative, economic, systemic, and social change. We provide direct services, community education, and promote fiscal responsibility and justice system accountability to the taxpayers. We provide a place where transparency and public safety meets the justice system, a place where we can honor individual truth and encourage organic growth, a place where healthy debates and open conversation is welcome, a place where collaboration and compassion spotlights generational oppression and deception for the purpose of transformation. You can find us at the restorativecommunity.org on Facebook. LinkedIn, and all your favorite podcast platforms. We can be found on YouTube at the Restorative Community Coalition. So welcome back, Alona Crone from Hanover, Germany, here visiting us in Whatcom County, talking with us about the opportunity we have, a historical opportunity for blazing trails in American leadership. Welcome back, Alona. Hello, So tell us more about this idea of flipping our construct of our economy, our construct of how we do business in communities, pretty much upside down. I mean, you're talking about turning it on its head and talking about having humans become the most valuable asset in the community because they have creative potential as opposed to humans being at the bottom of the food chain subject to an economy that runs just on a dollars and zeros and ones in a computer system. Yeah, the kind of, um, if you want to put it into the extreme way, if, if the goal is really to rebuild communities again, then actually the people who are homeless and the people 
who right now are the, the so-called problem are actually probably the people who can teach us most because um, they have lost everything. They are no longer subject to the system. And the only way the system can use them is basically by locking them up in jail because that way, um, you know, there's a whole, like the, the police force and the, the entire industrial um, complex connected to the justice system is actually using them to, to house them and is being paid for that. Um, yeah, they actually become a, a commodity in yes. the municipal asset side of the equation. And so one person arrested becomes actually an item on a balance sheet, on a, on a municipal asset balance sheet, which is really preposterous. So, so talk about that a little bit more as to how, if we could tap into our homeless and our local community, the people who have been excluded from the economy, how could we use them to help us make changes in a local economy? Well, the thing is, as long as we are still um, functioning within the system as, um, as a society, um, we're very scared to step out of that and really try something new. That's, that's human in a way, because we don't like to really experiment when things are, not, um, when things are still seeming okay for, for ourselves. Um, once I'm at the point where I'm homeless and everything I own is in a car that I have to move every few days and there's no safety, no security whatsoever in my life um, and nothing to lose, then I'm really depending on other people to stay safe. And so um, groups of like people who are homeless tend to really look after themselves or after each other mm -hmm. um, because that's what they need to do in order to survive outside the system. And so um, they, they actually know how community works in a way that probably um, the classic American suburb doesn't know. So that is one aspect. And the other aspect is that um, that once yeah once the, once you've lost everything, um, a you're very appreciative of whatever comes. There's very little entitlement. It's just about somebody is reaching out to me to help me, and um, and if you if I put faith into that, then that person can really flourish in a way because they have lost all hope, they have lost all faith in the system. So in a way, they are open to really reach inside themselves and say, well, what is actually inside me to, um, yeah, to, to rebuild my life? And, um, and that is something that that's a way we're not looking at people. You know, that's... Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I met a fellow one time, Richard Lemieux, and he was a millionaire at one point. And he became homeless almost overnight because the economy shifted on him. He used to be a publisher and his lifestyle, I can't remember whether he was doing um, some kind, I, I'm not sure if he was doing encyclopedias or if he was doing telephone books or what he was publishing, but it was a major uh, publication that suddenly went, it tanked because everything went online. 
And when that happened to him, he lost his family. He lost multiple luxury cars, three boats, all of his fortune in a matter of, I mean, it just spiraled down and sank. And he ended up homeless down in uh, South Puget Sound. And he was living in a, in a car, actually destitute. And he had a dog. And the only reason he ended up not killing himself at one point was because his dog was whining in the car and he realized that he had to go back and take care of his dog and it took him off the side of the bridge. <laughs> but after talking with him, Irene and I went down and met with him when he was doing a, a lecture and he talked about his entire experience of experiencing humans who took care of each other as he was coming back up from being homeless to learning how to write a book, he published a book called Breakfast at Sally's. It's available on Amazon and I'm looking it up here on, on um, the internet and you can buy them. This is an incredible book. And he talked about the fact that people who are homeless, he couldn't believe that people who were homeless would give him the shirt off their back if he needed it worse than they did. They would give him the last five bucks if he needed it worse than they did. People were incredibly generous and incredibly kind and incredibly supportive. And so that's something that could be very useful in our society if things get as tough as they're predicted with food shortages and wildfires and disasters and all that kind of stuff. I think, yeah, I think what, what people will have to face up to is the fact that a middle class or even an upper class um, lifestyle right now and an, um, and a bank account is not necessarily protecting them when things go really wrong. So this is something, and I think in a way that is also why um, people really don't want to look at homelessness because it's their worst nightmare. Yes. It's the worst thing that can happen to you. And it brings up so much fear when, when you really look at a homeless person. So it's easier to just say, well, put them out of sight so I don't have to see this and I'm not triggered. Um, because the other thing that happens, and that's something I experienced in Africa, when you have a lot of poor people and you want to help, you feel so overwhelmed by the fact that there's so many and what am I supposed to do as an individual? So yeah. kind of when you're looking the other way, okay, you can kind of live, continue living in your illusion that maybe you'll be all right. When you do look at it, you become so overwhelmed by the, by the problem that, um, that you feel even worse. And so the, the solution is really um, to say, well, let's look at this. Let's see the human being. And it's not just one person who wants to help. It's, what's, it's a community that wants to help. And basically, yeah. we're we empowering them to show us how community really works. Well, I think this is interesting because one of the things that you brought to the table when I first talked with you is the fact that your parents lived through the world wars and you were subject to a lot of the side effects that came out of the trauma of war. And this is part of what intrigued you when you started looking at the economy and the trends in the economy and what's going on in Washington state, we have some really significant economic issues across our nation. We have economic issues. We've got constitutional crisis issues. We've got, you know, social change issues. And so 
I really value your ability to come here and open up difficult conversations with us and to have conversations. We're going to be hosting um, several conversation over the next coming weeks in Whatcom County as we talk about how are we going to help each other make this transition from a world where we simply think that the systems are going to take care of us to having to rehumanize, if you were, our, our social and civic and economic issues. What do you have to say about, you know, we've got a couple minutes left on the show how would you like to summarize what we've talked about? Because we've sort of been all over the map, but yeah, it's, it's there are links. <laughs> there are links between all these things. So how would you link all these disparate conversations together? Well, it's in the end, it's actually, it's all interlinked. It's um, kind of when we crack this, we solve humanity. We solve everything. That is the <laughs> exciting bit. So it's not just because, again, when you're looking at all the challenges that we are facing as humanity right now, it's so overwhelming that we don't even want to start. We rather look the other way and kind of um, binge on Netflix instead, um, <laughs> which is very understandable, but that's not going to be the solution. And so, um, so I'm really looking forward because I used to think we needed a third world war for humanity to finally get its act together. Oh, and God. ironically, since 9-11, I'm actually not just hopeful, I know that we can do this. And it's not going to take much time when people really get their energy. I mean, when you're looking at the, the, the inventions, all the creativity that has come out, the, the kind of magical goodies that we have in the internet and in our smartphones and so on. I mean, you and I, we come out of generations. I mean, we didn't have a smartphone and no. we survived somehow and we could never have imagined a smartphone and what you would do with it. So there is this enormous creativity in human beings um, that is, is not reaching the human part. It's kind of reaching the economy and the money part, but it's not really reaching communities. And once we start applying that, the, the change can come so fast that, um, that we will be absolutely astonished um, how, how we could actually wait so long to, to make it happen. So the real opportunity is solving our human crisis by hu using humus, human ingeniosity, if you will, and figuring out how to put people to work, healing each other, healing our community, helping our community to tackle issues of poverty and issues of substance abuse and issues of, of inequities through teamwork and collaboration. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the old system is based on the illusion that there's an, not enough for all. Um, that is what the entire, all of our systems are built based on. And out of that comes the competition. So you always have someone who wins and someone who loses out. That's the system we're living in right now. But the fact is that when you're taking the, the creativity of human beings into account, there's every shortage of every, you know, kind of if we run out of oil, we're going to run cars on water, whatever. There will be different ways. So any, any limitation is just an illusion that will be and can be solved by human creativity. So if that illusion of lack that there's not enough for all is seen as an illusion and instead we embrace the fact 
that our creativity is abundant, then we don't need to compete anymore and we start working together. And then the sky is the limit. You are one of the strangest economic people I've ever met in my life. And it's awesome to meet you because (laughs) this is what we have to do. We have to get past our belief system that says that this is the only way to do things. Because in fact, working with people who are creative, we can invent all kinds of ways to do things. And I firmly believe that in Whatcom County, we can change the way we do law and justice, that we can change the way we do economic development, that we can harness and work with all the incredibly creative people in Whatcom County to build a whole new way of doing business here that works for the people. Yeah, I I absolutely believe that. I can see it. And I'm so excited to be a part of it. And, And I would... I would really love to pick the system apart because once you see the pattern, once you see how the system works, you realize there's no solution within it. And um, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And people have, uh, I think people have uh, an idea now that our systems are broken, but there's no way out. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a completely new way of doing things which will have an an amazing life for all of us. So we're talking about hosting through the Restorative Community Coalition, some local meetings for masterminding, brainstorming, and inventing a new economy that could work out of Whatcom County as a model that other cities anywhere in the nation could use, people around the world could use. We're talking about building prototypes of how to build economic, social, civic justice that works for all of us. So welcome and thank you. Welcome to Whatcom County, Alona. Welcome to all of you who are listeners on the call. Pay attention to our website. It's at therestorativecommunity.org. We will have announcements. We're going to be talking about solutions. We're going to be posting a whole new platform for how to invent change in the world from our community. So Thank you very much, Alona. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Please share our podcast with your friends and family. Subscribe at Spotify, iTunes, or from your favorite playlists. At therestorativecommunity.org, you're invited to subscribe to our newsletter, connect through social media, or send us feedback on our shows. If you're inclined to help, you can volunteer, donate, learn more, and connect at info at therestorativecommunity.org. Contributing helps us empower those silenced by oppression so they can emerge into their higher potential. Thank you.